Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. All right, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. Over there is Ryan Bull. Howdy. Mr. Two Frames. I'm the L Train, Richard Lusk. We're going to be reviewing for you this week the new Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, <laughs> starring Josh Brolin, George Clooney. <laughs> Holy crap. Get it out of your system. <laughs> it's so funny. I don't even know. I don't even think it's that funny. Yep. That is. <sighs> Alden. It's a good thing this is a comedy this week. Alden Ironreich? Yeah, sure. This guy's name is Rafe Fines, but it always looks like Ralph Fiennes to me. <laughs> Rafe Fiennes. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Francis McDormand, Channing Tatum, Jonah Hill. It just goes on and on and on. Oh, my God. So many actors. Here at Capitol Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're going to give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but if we had... Ha, faith, faith! Faith, cut! Ah. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future. My question to you Hello, this week, Hello, Mr. Mr. Two Frames. What do you think I thought of this movie? thought you weren't going to like it a whole lot why i was worried um it's very dense in film history you really have to love the films of the 1940s and 50s and that whole studio system and that's never seemed like it appealed to you very much from our talks about film history and because of the musicals and stuff yeah musicals Cary grant films i think of doris day i'm not know. into the the whole studio system i yeah but just, i'm into history this is a story about a studio fixer, Capital Pictures. His name's Eddie Mannix, and it's a it's a busy work day for him. He has to deal with a disgruntled actor, a disgruntled no, I'm sorry, a, perhaps a debauched actor, a disgruntled director, a singing cowboy, a swimmer, and blah 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 blah. He's just got all these problems. He's juggling all these problems on and on and on, and uh, he has to face suddenly. The kidnapping of one of his best stars, played by George Clooney. Josh Brolin, Eddie Mannix, uh, sets off to solve the problems. Um, He's a man alone. He's standing alone pretty much against the rest of the world. And in that sense, it touches on some of the other themes of Coen Brothers movies. Mm -hmm. So... um, And it's somewhat historically accurate, like there really was an Eddie Mannix who worked for MGM, and he was a fixer type. Yeah, and all these other people are based on uh, people that really existed, like Mm -hmm. Scarlett Johansson's Deanna Moran is supposedly based on uh, Esther Williams. Yeah, very famous for doing those um, mermaid 
mm-hmm. movies. Thora Thacker and Thessaly Thacker, twin um, critics played by Tilda Swinton, are based on the famous Hedda Garba or no Hedy Helper or something. <laughs> Hedy Helper, Hamburger Helper. I wrote all these things down. There's actually on a um, Lulu Menick writing for the New York Post did an article called The Real Life Scandals Behind Hail Caesar, and there's also a, a video attached to it, which I think that you should uh, check out. And it, has a, it runs down all of the connections to real people that apparently had a number of scandals attached to them. Um, the one that sticks out is the guy for me played by Channing Tatum in the movie is Burt Gurney, but I think he's based on Gene Kelly. And who is the actor in Danny Kaye? And anchors away. Yeah. I mean, I definitely read him as a Gene Kelly type. And we can get more into why that was. Uh, George Clooney seems to be kind of Kirk Douglas, Clark Gable type. Yeah, I think they also mentioned someone that would start, uh, Robert Taylor starred in, I think, Quo Vadis, mm-hmm. which was a sequel to the famous Ben-Hur. And that I think that the movie Hail Caesar was based on a sequel that they were planning for Ben-Hur. Maybe they even filmed it. I don't know. There is, like you said, a lot of dense film history in this. There are a lot of reference to dense film history. Yeah, and then you're going, well, which, which sword and sandal film are they referencing here? Is it The Robe? Is it Ben-Hur? Right. I guess Spark has hadn't come out yet, but you have Exodus during this time. I mean, there are lots and lots of yeah. films. So Then there's also references to Westerns mm-hmm. and uh, the character played by Alden Ehrenreich, Hobie Doyle. I think they might be my favorite part of the movie. You okay. like the singing, singing cowboy? Yeah, the singing so much, but just the actor, the, the the way I think he was the star of the movie. You said that there was a star other than Josh Brolin, who play it does a workman like role. He goes through. And I I actually appreciated his acting a lot, but in terms of a breakout role, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that this Alden guy didn't get some consideration in post 2015 awards. Just. He seems to have something, you know, like some sort of star quality. I mean, we'll, we'll see. He's slowly uh, been getting bigger and bigger roles. He was in Blue Jasmine, a little part in that, Beautiful Creatures. He was also in Stoker. Yeah, I don't remember him in Stoker. I want to go back and look for him now. I think he's the boyfriend that in Stoker that she winds up not going with, or not even a boyfriend. I think he was oh, one okay. of those. One of those guys. But, I mean, a small part. So, it's Somewhat nice to small. see him starting to break out here. He sort of reminds me of a young, um, your your favorite guy from the... Michael Shannon? No, no, no. Yeah, we'll have to come back to that because that's just going to kill the show. The, uh, the, the, the Russian guy that you like. It's in a movie that you always reference that nobody ever heard of. Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> no, he's not. Dolph Lundgren's in this too. He makes a small cameo, but really, yeah, he doesn't have a speaking part. Oh, okay, that's why I didn't know. So now I don't feel so bad. Yeah, uh, I think that his speaking part got cut, but he's the uh, U-boat commander. I'll, I'll just leave it at that because yeah, we yeah. get into spoilers a little bit later. But yeah, I think um, it seems to me, in terms of cutting, a lot of stuff gets left out of this movie. And that's the, if there is anything that, oh, I asked you whether or not you thought I would like it. I actually loved it. I think I surprised you when I told you that I loved it. Yeah, you purposely didn't return my voicemail. No, that was just because I was asleep. Because you you wanted me to worry until we got into school and you're like, I don't know if I want to tell you. (laughs) No, I didn't. Uh 
I want because I thought it'd be good for the show, but I, I, there's almost nothing that I don't like about this movie except that there weren't enough. It 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 didn't go on into the subplots. There were maybe either too many subplots or it didn't handle the subplots well enough for me. Not not that they weren't handled well enough. They just didn't have enough meat on the bone of the subplots. I suppose. Yeah. There are some bits I wish had gone on longer and had a better payoff. It's funny. It's not hilarious. It's not the Coen Brothers film you're going to laugh at the most. Some of their dramas, I feel like I've almost laughed more at them. You know where the humor comes from is in the, it's a very, very quick screenplay. I mean, the writing is quick. And I think that it will become funnier and funnier the more that you watch it. I was laughing uproariously. And the eight other people in my movie theater... There was one woman behind me that that laughed as well. The rest of them, I think, that they it just it was either moving too quickly, or there were too many moving parts, and they just couldn't appreciate it, or the humor just didn't work for them. But to me, it was like perfect Coen Brothers tone and um, <laughs> just action and reaction. And well, it's incredibly broad comedy, but it's also incredibly specific. I mean, they have slapstick in this. They have just real blunt in your face humor, and then there's tons of like just wordplay and subtlety. It, it, it's amazing. You don't see all those comedy types generally in one film. I th- but the I, Coen Brothers, they do everything. Yeah, they're so good at it. And I, I'm sorry that I doubted them. I was having, I was trepidatious about the movie. You've but doubted I, them the last two times they've done a film because they've, I've, I assumed that they were going to be more musical than they wind up being, other than. Inside Lewin Davis was quite musical, but it wasn't a musical. And mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be a musical, and it turned out not to be. I mean, there's one musical number that critics are saying goes too long. I think it's, I mean, perfect length. I think they're trying to recapture just that feel of a 1950s uh, musical. I mean, a Gene Kelly number, and those things used to go on and on and on. And I think it kind of becomes funny because you're expecting it to be over in 45 seconds. And then when it goes on to two minutes, you're like, all right, that's long. And then you start to get upset, but then it becomes funny again. But there's so many like stunts and gags in it as well that you're kind of taken with a virtuosity of uh, Channing Tatum. I mean, I was. I was like, how multi-talented can this guy? He's like the Tom Brady of actors. Oh yeah, no. Tom, I think Chain Tatum really shows some acting chops in this. You know, the singing and dancing. He's a triple threat. But there's some also real, uh, not perverse, but there's some overtones. Oh, the homoeroticism. Oh, yeah. yeah, that dance number. There's some weird. It's stuff. not even overtones. The name of the bar is the swinging dingy. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people are going to notice that. But what they won't notice this the uh, homosexual references. Well, they have that whole thing about sailors, and I mean, that's just a running gag. And I know it's just it's funny. Yeah, I mean, it, I they I think that they're operating in that wheelhouse. They know what they're doing there. Oh, yeah, the Coen Brothers know what they're doing. But yeah. the whole thing is, you can't tell. Do they love these old musicals, or are they just making fun of them? To me, I think they're trying to do it. They're trying to have it both ways, and they might actually be able to eat their or have their cake and eat it too. Oh, I, I think they love it. I think they love everything about it. I think that this movie acts as a better document of film history than most documentaries about film history. And this thing, I think this movie covers all of that studio mentality in such a way so that it 
I mean, it makes sense, and it's going to be more appreciated later on. I, I don't think it's highly regarded now by people, but I think as a document of history, people are going to go back and um, revisit it and, and see, holy crap, this is, this is exactly like what was going on in the studio at this time. In fact, it might be their most, it might be among their most realistic pictures. Could be. I, I could see this being taught uh, side by side with Singing in the Rain, which is also a big, you know, studio pic, uh, studio. That's film. not Gene like Kelly, that was it? That's Gene Kelly, yeah. That was 1952. Who, who did film. Anchors Away, though? That's not Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly's in there with uh, Frank Sinatra. Uh, right? No, not Frank Sinatra. Is that one the way where they see New York, New York? What a wonderful yeah, town. I don't know. Seems like there's another actor, dancer, singer guy that's not Gene Kelly that I keep, I, I'm missing his name. I wish I had that article in front of me that says who that dude was. But um, some of the Hollywood scandals that they reference deal with, with that character and they deal with that guy and they deal with that actor. So Frank Sinatra might be in it, but that's not the guy I'm thinking of. Yeah, Frank Sinatra, Gene Kelly, and... Dean Stockwell? No, I'm no. not thinking of that guy either. I think Dean Stockwell was in a lot of, of Disney movies. So, I don't know. I might be wrong. Fred Astaire. No, Fred Astaire wasn't in it. No, 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 but that's who I was thinking. Okay, yeah. I think earlier I said Danny Kay, and I was thinking of Fred Astaire. <laughs> All these guys are the same to me, in a way. Uh, in the movie, they mentioned Danny Kay by name. And I thought that was a little odd and out of place. But, um, there... I was surprised at how much I liked it. And I understand why some people don't like it. That's why I'm not sure that I can recommend it. Well, that's the whole thing. You've really got to know a lot of film history. And uh, there's some stuff about the Hollywood 10, the blacklisted Hollywood writers. They figure into this. And, you know, everyone's afraid of their communist leanings and that they're trying to overthrow Hollywood and get all these communist ideas out to everyone. And in the movie, they are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's all those fears that were going on in Hollywood are true all the rumors are true whether it's the actress who gets pregnant or the drunk actor who's always wandering off set right all of those rumors that would have been reported in the tabloid columns by um hedda hopper hedda hopper yeah are true right that that's i think the brilliance of the coen brothers film except that that actually might be the falsity in the movie because i think a lot of those hollywood writers didn't have the motivations that they that are ascribed to them in the movie, in this movie, Hail Caesar. Oh, absolutely. Right. And then, you know, I, I think so we all know that Gene Kelly lived a long life in America. The, I mean, he was chased out of... The, the The studio did get rid of him after Singing in the Rain. They sent him to Europe for a little over a year and a half and kind of killed his career when it was at its apex. Mm -hmm. So that was sad. So, And if and you have the, no idea what I'm talking about, this might not be the movie for you. I think it's still accessible to people that don't, I don't know. It's getting 49% or 47% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That means that 49 or 47% of the people that watched it that are predisposed to report on it mm -hmm. are reporting negatively or actually 53% are reporting negatively on it because they wouldn't recommend it. They would say, don't go see it. I don't know if I can recommend it. I love it, but I don't know if I can say to anybody in particular, go see this movie. You'll love it unless I know. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah. that they, like, I think our friend um, Actor Man, I think he might like it. But then again, he might hate it. Yeah, I don't know where he falls on, you know, old Hollywood 
it, it, it's a hard pick. There have been a couple movies over the years that we've watched and talked about on the show that we've had a hard time recommending to people. Uh, last year, Bone Tomahawk. That's a hard sell for a lot of people. Right. Fantastic film, but you have to buy into that genre. But You, like you have our, to like horror movies. You have to like westerns. This, you have to like a lot of old Hollywood films. You also have to like the Coen brothers. You also have to be willing to read up on a lot of stuff, I feel, to get everything out of this film. Well, I recommended to John Cunningham, our friend over the pond, mm-hmm. who was our guest of the year, that uh, Bone Tomahawk. I would never really recommend it to Scott, right. actor man, so... Uh, I think our friend, friend of the show, Monty S, likes the uh, Bone Tomahawk too. So that's that. Yeah, that's that's sort of like my ace in the hole recommendation for people that have same sensibilities as I do. Although I don't think you can recommend this movie to those same people. I don't know. It's so weird. It's a hard movie to talk about because it's hard for me to move to figure out stylistically even, well, what it is. Like I was saying that that Einreich guy is the star of the film, and then I thought, well, wait a minute, or Aaron Reich. The whole movie is really Josh Brolin. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's his story. I mean, from beginning to end, I have to admit, I missed the first five minutes. No, I mean, it's just it's a, late getting a in there. day in his life. And it's interesting. The picture didn't look that good to me, though. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, some of the cinematography was interesting. It was, uh, it was still Deacons, right? Yeah. Deacons worked on it. But the Coen brothers wanted to do film. They had previously said their last film would be the last one they do in film. But they said, you can't do old Hollywood on digital. So right. Deacons agreed to do it. But he said he had a lot of trouble uh, finding choices of st- film stocks to use and processing options because there are so many fewer film processors out there now. So many fewer? So many fewer. <laughs> yes, oxymoron statement there. Uh, they also shift aspect ratios a lot according to the different movies and the different kinds of things that they were trying to do. There's a shift in aspect ratio when they're coming into real life mm-hmm. away from the actual projected movies themselves. I think they handle three or four different movies. There's the Hail Caesar movie where sometimes you're actually in the movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, four. There's the Lawrence Lawrence movie. <laughs> uh, the sort of romance. Con- or Period no, piece. Peri- yeah, very intense, sort of sophisticated um romance there's the western and then there's the uh dance number that i mean other people say oh two there's the sailor movie and then there's the uh, mermaid movie mm-hmm. so there's actually five different movies that they that you move in and out of of those five which standalone movie would you like to see oh uh, the western i think really he's spinning on a tree shooting backwards looks kind of fun kind of goofy and then Hail Caesar is just it, a little too serious, takes itself a little too seriously. Honestly, when I was watching that, I went, is this the prequel to uh, Three Amigos? <laughs> it really had that Three Amigos vibe, like, oh, this is the film they're ripping off. They do the, the rope trick, and uh, Aaron Reich does a rope trick also. Oh, yeah. The movie that reminded me of Three Amigos. Yeah, and, and he reminds you of Anton Yelkin. Yeah, that's the guy, Anton Yelkin. He's good. You need that's to watch Odd Thomas. Thomas. Odd Thomas is the other movie that you always mention that nobody Odd Thomas and then uh, Brandon Roth and Dylan Dog. Uh, yeah, there you go. Those two movies. Uh, but in terms of this movie, <laughs> Hail Caesar, what did you think no, of? No, no. Uh, What's the title again? Hail Caesar. What did you think of uh <laughs> that tickles you so much? Yep, pretty much. Pretty pretty much. 
What do you think of George Clooney? Because going into the movie, you would have thought that he was the star of the show, and he seems to have a bit part. Yeah, I think Clooney's just having fun. I think he enjoys working with the Coen brothers. He seemed small in this film. He's getting older, dude. No, I mean, like, he had shrunk. It's like someone put, you know, washed him, put him in the dryer on the high heat, <laughs> and he shrunk a little bit. When he's next to Josh Brolin, Brolin just towers over him. I think Joel Brolin's a bigger guy, but that's also a, a function of, of what they're trying to tell in the in the movie. Like, Mannix in the movie, Eddie Mannix needs to be a much bigger character to control these guys. So oh, he's, I mean, he's bigger than um, uh, Hobie Doyle, the, mm-hmm. the cowboy, the singing cowboy. Yeah, and uh, you don't get a good idea of how big Channing Tatum is. He's not next to any of these people. <laughs> he's so over the top, though. He stands next to Mannix at one point. I think Mannix is bigger than he is. But George Clooney's, I mean, we all get, we all shrink when we get older. There's a scene towards the end of the movie. I was like, holy crud, Clooney is tiny. But he, his co-star in you the movie. You can fold him up and put him in your pocket. His co-star in the movie, in Hail Caesar, I think his last name is Brown. I can't remember his first name, but he was the prison guard in. Shawshank Redemption. And he's a big guy. <laughs> so that, I mean, that might have added to it. I guess. Yeah. I, I, I like the Clooney. You like the Clooney, right? Yeah, I like the Clooney. Clooney just seems to be having fun. He's getting to that point in his career where he can just kind of do what he wants and it doesn't matter a whole lot. He's in that Russell Crowe territory. Russell Crowe just, he does what he wants. Fair enough. He watches his rugby, he drinks his beer, he punches the random guy. He is Russell Crowe. Yeah, I mean, you saying it in his real life. But he also picks movies that are like uh, wine orchards and Yeah, his last film was uh, The Water Diviner. Yeah, I, I like... Clooney's acting choices better than Crow's acting choices. Oh, no, no. To me, Crow, Crow's just... I like, like the American. He did The Man with the Iron Fists. Exactly. There's my point. Love it. Yeah, you just Loved proved it. my point. Uh, so, in the We Laugh earlier this week, <laughs> I mentioned that uh, one of the trailers for the movie was an extended scene that they took out of the Lauren Lorenz movie <laughs> um, where the director's trying to explain to Hobie Doyle played by Alden Ehrenreich, uh, and Ray Fiennes plays the director. Lawrence Lawrence is trying to explain to this kid how to read a line, and you said you wanted to discuss it here in the main show. Yeah, you seem to think that it was a bad idea to do the trailer like that. I thought that was brilliant. No, I think it's a, I think it's a spoiler that dessert is, is undeserving. Like, the people that aren't going to go see that movie don't... If you see that movie out of context if you see that scene, sorry, out of context, then it, it doesn't have anywhere near the impact that it does as a, uh, as a trailer. Like I think you could pull out any, almost any other scene, not give away too much of the movie and not give away out one of the biggest laughs. And then, you know, not ruin the film for me. <laughs> well, for to me, me, to me, a trailer is supposed to give you an idea of what the movie's about and to give a flavor, right? Mm-hmm. Set the tone. I think the trailer achieves that by showing that one scene. And I would think trying to cut up the whole film into a trailer and to make it have some sort of through line that can get expressed in two minutes 30 would be incredibly difficult because this is a very disjointed film. But you can't even do that with that scene that they chose. I think it, you have an idea of the Coen brothers sensibility, you know, you're on a movie set. It it, it works. I think if that's the only thing you saw and you're going to see that, based on seeing that scene. If you're going to go see the movie based on seeing that scene, then you're expecting a different movie. I think you're expecting Wes Anderson or something. 
oh no, no that doesn't feel at all like Wes Anderson too really the movie felt a lot like Wes Anderson maybe not that one scene but most of the movie like with its designed quirkiness and um, yeah, yeah characters are quirky but the cinematography that, isn't there to make it quirky well you don't have that symmetry yeah but that's a Wes Anderson thing I'm just saying the story itself you could Wes Anderson could have done this story just as easily and yeah it, maybe had I mean he would have had different laughs but it would have been it probably would have been as a, I mean, it would have been is, the same thing as Moonrise Kingdom. This is through and through a Coen Brothers film, but this is a Coen Brothers film that you have to watch after watching many others, better and worse ones. I mean, this to me seems firmly in the middle well, of the Coen Brothers. I never watched Anchors Away filmography or Singing in the Rain. No, no, I'm talking Coen Brothers. Oh, I thought you said you didn't know the references. No, of no, the no old you, Hollywood you need style. you need to watch a lot of Coen Brothers because this is very subtle. This is sophisticated. All right, this is. This rewards the person who can drink a 12-year scotch and tell the difference of it from a 25-year-old scotch. So which movie do you think is it most like? Which Coen Brothers, which other Coen Brothers movie is it most resemble? Ooh. Or does it most resemble? I said, is it most resemble? <sighs> to me, it seems yeah. like, um, I mean, th- there are a lot of elements that are similar to Raising Arizona in it. Yeah, but it's not nearly as frantic. No, and like I said, there's some elements of realism in it that, I mean, but it's a heightened it's realism. Raising Arizona meets Barton Fink meets uh, No Country for Old Men. No, jeez, <laughs> you named all the disparate movies. All the, it's like it's Miller's Crossing. <laughs> no. They say it's a sister movie to the, the Coens talking about it. Said it was a sister film to Barton Fink. Barton Fink apparently was hired by Capitol Pictures, mm-hmm. so it work, it's working in that same universe. Yeah, it's that got they set up. Barton Fink in it. I mean, it's a lot like Burn After Reading in terms of its pacing, but it doesn't have nearly the violence. Yeah, Hudsucker it, Proxy. Yeah, a little bit of that. It, it's kind of all of them. That's the whole thing. You, this might be the last one you watch if you're watching all the Coen Brothers films. This is the one you finish off with. Well, you'd have to if you watched it chronologically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you watch chronologically, but yeah, I just I feel like you have to watch everything else. You have to have seen Intolerable Cruelty and um, Oh Your yeah, Brother Where like Art Thou. Intolerable Cruelty. Too. Yeah, you you have to see Clooney and all these other roles to really enjoy him in this one. I feel. Do you think it's in a, a top half? Of Coen Brothers movies? Pretty firmly in the middle. How many movies do you think? Right now, maybe even slightly below that, but I want to go back and rewatch it a couple times. How many movies do they have? 17. So you're ranking this around nine. Sure. It might be in the top 10 of Coen Brothers movies. For you? I don't know. It might be top five. Top five. I don't know. I'm really high on Is this a real top five or is this your top five that actually has a dozen films in it? My flexible top five. Yeah, because I feel like I could start rattling off Coen Brother titles, and you would go, "Yep, yep, yep, yep." And I mean, go, I haven't really right. ranked them out, but it might be a better if you were if you were going to do a standalone show on Coen Brothers movies, it might be a better show to do the bottom five than the top five and try and explain why you got the yeah. bottom five. And the funny thing is, there are ones that people love, and other people just go, "Nope, didn't work for me." I mean, the only one, the only Coen Brothers film that really is at the bottom of everyone's list, except for yours, is The Lady Killers. Yeah, I kind of like Lady Killers. <laughs> yeah, you're like the only one. That's probably that their least successful film. Yeah, uh, box office, I don't think. No, I'm just so. saying like critical acclaim and just holding up after all these years. Um, 
this movie had an is it only had a twenty two million dollar operating budget, which is I think it's the Cohen brothers' lowest budget in a number of years. And when you think about how they did it on film and how they got all of these actors in it. Well, I think everyone wants to work with them the, and is willing also, to come in and be there for a week or two. Right. Yeah, some of these actors didn't need to be there for very long. Frances McDormand is actually married to one of the Coens. I don't know which one. I think it's either Ethan or Joel. Yeah, she was great in it. She played the um, editor that gets her, ironically, gets her scarf involved in the in the whole machine. Ooh, do we need to like kind of move into spoilers? Yeah, you just kind of you, you gave away one of the best Give gags away a lot. in the whole well, thing. Well, I think that the movie gives away a lot of gags. I like the the marketing for it. Not the movie. The, the, the whole movie is a spoiler for itself. The, the trailer of one scene. No, that was just a. That was a the second trailer that came out. There were. No, I think it may be even the third trailer. There yeah. were two others that came out. It made me think it. That's that made me think it was going to be a uh, musical. No, if I had seen that first trailer, I would have been. Uh, I'm sorry, the second trailer, the one we were talking about, I would have been simultaneously happy and upset. Because I would have been like, oh, this is going to be a much better movie than I thought. But then, holy crap, you just ruined a very good part of the film. <laughs> so basically, there is no pleasing you. No. No. It's obvious. So the next Coen Brothers film, you just have to accept that you're going to go watch it and love it and not know anything about it. Uh, you don't need to market to me. All right, so spoilers. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. There's a submarine. There's a submarine. And it's driven by Dolph Lundgren. Knowing that extra fact makes it so much better. Yeah, I don't even think you see his face. I just think he's in shadows the whole time. I just love that idea. He might even be listed as submarine commander or U-boat commander in the credits. I just love the idea that Dolph Lundgren is somewhere in the seven seas in a submarine. (laughs) Russian. (laughs) Just going out there. Um... They need to make a sequel to Hunt for Red October where Sylvester Stallone is in his own submarine and he's going to go get that Russian. They think you get Soviet man and Dolph Lundgren. What do you think, though? What are, what, are, what are the Coens trying to say with respect to communism given that uh, Tunney, or what is his name, Burt Gurney, Channing Tatum, mm-hmm. he doesn't, what does he really accomplish in the end? Like, what are his motivations? Does he want the money? Because he doesn't get the money. The money isn't as important. He doesn't even. He isn't going to bring the money with him. Does he want to bend the studious system? Does he want to besmirch? Yeah, he, uh, he wants to become the the icon of communists. He he wants to be their poster boy. Did he need? Did he need? He didn't need the money to do that. He didn't need to. He didn't need to to kidnap Baird Whitlock, George he, Clooney. He wanted to get his writers some money. They had worked so hard. They deserved their cut. Oh, you think he's just spreading the wealth? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Like His Robin motivations Hood. weren't clear to me. But that's the whole idea. When people said Gene Kelly's a communist and he's trying to advance communist ideas, it's like, that doesn't make any sense if you think it through. I think the Coen brothers are trying to point out that foible. It's just like uh, earlier in the film when Josh Brolin is meeting with all the religious heads and he's and they're trying to say, well, this is the way you got to pit Jesus. And they're disagreeing about that. And then the Jewish guy's like, no, Jesus isn't the son of God. You can't depict him as the son of right, God. Right. Everyone else is, well, you have to. A lot to. of really good snappy dialogue in that scene. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of skewering of religion in there. 
But there's also the Socratic irony of of we don't want to offend anyone. Well, that's impossible. You can't make a religious film then. No, I mean we find out later that um or maybe even before that, I don't know, I missed the first five minutes, but we find out that Eddie Mannix is actually a very religious person and I mean he prays with a rosary. So he knows what the depiction of the Christ should be like. So he has to use Socratic irony through that scene to act like he doesn't know that he's just another one of these Hollywood types that, you know, has to bring in these experts to give them the credit that, that they, they're trying to claim for themselves. Oh yeah. In he, terms of he just knowledge. needs them to sign off on it. And they all like the film. Yeah, that's the real ironic thing. Oh, is it accurate? No. Yeah, Do the care? Orthodox no. guy doesn't. <laughs> I don't know how a man can jump in between two uh full or two two uh chariots, chariots that are going full speed. <laughs> it just doesn't seem real to me when that actually happened in the movie. Been hurt, so uh that's a great scene is there i mean i'm there were there wasn't one scene i didn't like because how's that for a double negative every single scene i saw i liked yeah i enjoyed the whole thing a lot of people didn't like jonah hill when he shows up he was awesome i i thought he he nailed it he didn't try and <laughs> overreach great. in it i wanted more of that so much and it felt real i was thinking yeah probably a lot of big companies not just the film industry have the guy who'll sign whatever legal document a lot of people and it has to be a, a you know a witness to whatever it was that you need them to do. Yeah, there's functionaries like that probably in the school system that work in our school right now. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Could be. Uh so people are complaining about the thirty two seconds that he was on film. They just didn't like it. <laughs> he was perfect, man. He was perfect. Yeah. No, I And I the juxtaposition of his twenty two seconds versus Channing Tatum's seventeen minute dance number. Plus the dance thing with Esther Williams. I mean, I think that they're doing a drop the mic moment by having uh, Scarlett Johansson do that dance number and do, go through the whole entire thing. I don't think we'll ever see another one of those send up of those type of dances. Oh, water no, dances. And apparently they had a lot of trouble trying to get a big enough water set for that, getting enough trained people and... It was one of the more difficult shots to get in the whole film. Best one sen- best water dance sequence since Caddyshack, right? Since Tarzan finds a mate. <laughs> um, oh, man. No, so, I, sorry. <coughs> what were you going to say? No, no, that's not fair. What? I, do you think the Coen brothers were happy with all of the performances in this film? Yeah, because earlier exactly you want. said you felt like there should be more here. You were kind of upset that it was too short. Oh, I went and read the script afterwards. Okay. It's the script that came and saw online somewhere. Um, I think I saw it on Reddit. And uh, yeah, there's not as much cut out as I would have expected. I thought that there was a lot more. Okay, because to me it feels like they cut 20 minutes or better out of this. And I was wondering, did they just not get some performances that they wanted to out of some of these actors and do we see them not work with these people again not all of them there are a couple who are you thinking i don't want to say because i feel that that's mean oh please that's sad i felt like there's okay who, who are you gonna offend there, there should have been more scarlett johansson i feel in this yeah she was she was great she, she's early in it and then she shows up again at the end no she's but she serves all they are that all those side plots are are just distractions for manix okay. like and I, I think it's since it's all about Mannix, it doesn't. It, any if you spend any more time with any of these other characters, then the movie becomes about them. Right. I think. I thought I liked ScarJo. I thought she was fine. She's in here. great. I just felt like a scene or two of hers got cut out of the film. It may be. I, I wasn't really looking for her in particular, but 
I mean, that's where the, you would I would have added more to the film was her and Jonah Hill's story. I, I don't think that's the case, though. I, I mean, I, they I, are I, working with a lot of people for the first time in this. I think it has to do with the pace of the movie and what they what they expected. I mean, it needs for them to say what they want to say. It needs to be a minute. I mean, an hour and mm-hmm. thirty seven minutes, or however long it is. You make it much longer than that, and then it becomes, I think, people will point to those long dance numbers as being added to the other things as being, again, too long. So I think that they were just, I mean, I think that they had it planned out and paced it, but you might be right. I don't know. Normally, I am. I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea either, but that was She was was great. Do you think she was bad? No, I thought she was fine. I just went, wow, it's been a long time since we've seen Scarlett Johansson when she showed up there uh, with Jonah Hill. It's like, wow, we kind of forgot about her for a while. <laughs> so, I mean, I felt like there should have been another scene or two. So, What do you think of them using digital effects and uh, green screens and stuff like that to replicate old school practical effects? I don't have a problem with that. I know they had a lot of trouble finding locations to shoot on that still looked like old Hollywood. So there was a lot of background replacement stuff. Some of that is also by design, though. Um you wanted to have that not quite natural feel where stuff feels a little off. They wanted the U-boat to be a miniature, but they couldn't do it in miniature, so they had to replicate the U-boat in CG as a miniature. <laughs> uh, there's an article by Brian Bishop. Uh, this is on TheVerge.com. How the Coen brothers used new school effects to create old school Hollywood in the movie Hail Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> The visual effects supervisor is a man named Dan Schrecker. They work for Psyop Film and Television, the artists that did the visual effects for this movie. Um, and it's a pretty good article. I think these two articles I'll, we'll try to put in the um, show notes yeah. or something. I'll, I'll uh, we're seeing a lot of that, though, with uh, special effects where they're trying to make it look like uh, older, more practically done stuff. Uh, they did a lot of that with The Martian. And then I think we talked about a fair amount on Star Wars. Uh-huh. And how some of those effects felt like they were from the 1970s. Updated, I guess, given that HD loss finish, but it still felt like it was from that Star Wars universe. Yeah, I right? think this movie wanted to be more obviously fake though, mm-hmm. than Star I mean, Star Wars, I think they were trying to do a seamless thing. This thing wanted to draw attention to yeah, itself. Yeah, I, I remember reading uh, yeah, Star Wars when they were trying to do Yoda. I mean, this is in the previous trilogy. They were trying to make it look like it was a hand puppet. And the thing they forgot was the slight tremor everyone's hand has. They had uh-huh. to add that into the puppet uh-huh. in the CGI model. You know, so, you know, it's all real slight. This movie, they want you to be aware of the effects. Because I think in old Hollywood, you knew when they were faking stuff. Did they? Do you think they did? I think viewers knew that. Really? See, I've always said that we can't go back to 1948 or whatever. I think about this a lot when I think about dreams. Like, I think our our dream language is the movie is the language of film and the way that we can be in all kinds of places at one time or just one place out of a sudden and you know you can zoom in on certain things and there's movement and all that in your dreams. I wonder what dreams were like before movies. I wonder if they had this <laughs> if people had the same visual dreams or if it was just if they dreamt text. Yeah, because so much of the world was literate before movies. movies. The the movies made the world move a lot faster, or they just replicated a more fastly moving world. Movies and television, and things started to be told visually. Like, I mean, you had plays and such, but I'm thinking back to 
like the Middle Ages or whatever. I mean, people probably have always dreamed, but they probably haven't dreamed in the same way. The language of dreams is very different. I, I think people are still living their life visually. They still have two eyes. Yeah, but the, but what happens with movies is your eyes, you are no longer in control of what you see. Someone else's. You've ceded control of that. Unless you choose to look at the edges mm-hmm. of the screen or whatever. And dreams, your subconscious now uh, has a different effect on you. I just think that dreams have probably changed considerably with the advent of newer technologies. Right, you, should, you should write this down because movies are about to change with the whole VR idea. There are a series of good uh, videos about you, how you, you s- do that. You said that about 3D. N- no. Uh, Still waiting for the 3D revolution. That's coming with the VR. All right. But, but if you're Fair wearing a, a VR headset and you're able to move around inside of a scene, all of a sudden camera angles go out the window. Where do you look? How do you draw in people's attention yeah. to a certain aspect of what's going on? Do the characters notice you or do you walk around as some sort of invisible ghost? No one really knows what the language of a VR film should be yet. So there's going to be a whole lot of discovery going on over the next 10 to 20 years. I guess the reason why it doesn't interest me that much is because I'll probably be dead in 10 to 20 years. So I won't see the visual revolution. It's coming. It's coming. I'm very sad I don't have an Oculus Rift. You'll get one as soon as the price goes down by Christmas. By Christmas Christmas it'll be that cheap Really? I'm making a prediction. By Christmas, Iona? I'm thinking you're not even going to buy an Oculus Rift. It'll be something else. It's equivalent. There you go. That's Hail Caesar, man. I like it. Good movie. We both enjoyed it. Hugh John Anderson. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. Thanks, John. That voice you heard was John Anderson. He's our announcer. If you'd like to get his help on your next project and hear his voice uh, advertising for you, you can email him at hawk1man at yahoo.com. That's hawk, the number one, followed by man with two N's, because that's the way it should be, at yahoo.com. What are we doing for our next show? Our next show is going to be... Laugh goes to the Oscars. We're going to be visiting our Oscars, doing our Oscar rundown of the eight best picture nominees. This is one of the movies that we have not talked about yet. Bridge of Spies. A few of the, I guess about four of the best picture nominations. We've already done full on reviews, um, but we plan to take, you know, a short little section of your time, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes to uh, quickly go over these best picture reviews and give our rec- our predictions based on the likelihood of their winning that award and the other stuff that they're up for. Yeah, I guess uh, a lot of the discussion will be whatever they're nominated for. Uh, Like in Bridge of Spies, uh, Mark Rylance is nominated for Best Supporting Actor, so we'll probably talk a good bit about him. I want to talk about that, so that'll be laugh one twenty two. One twenty two. The numbers keep going ever upward. Mr. Two Frames over there is going to make me go see Deadpool. You're so excited about seeing Deadpool. Deadpool. You're going to love it. Whatever. Love it. <laughs> As Lawrence Lorenz and Hobie Doyle say in Hail Caesar, would the detour so simple? <laughs> For the two friends over there. It's been a pleasure. Neil Trey Pox said, Bone everybody. There be dragons.
Can't be perfect all the time. You made the stab in the infield, but you forgot the threat of first base. The guy <laughs> still got on. I like it. <coughs> good to go? This is the good stuff. <laughs> Over there is the co-host Beaker. <laughs> It's the mediocre stuff. <laughs>